Hey, this is Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and welcome back to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. Yes. So last week we had that bomb drop of the leaked Supreme Court decision that discussed the potential ending of Roe v. Wade as we know it, and really Roe v. Wade altogether. And so we just kind of unpacked that, talked about what exactly that was and what that could potentially mean. Um, I tried to really stay as objective as possible in that because I really just wanted to go through the details and break it down, discuss what happened, discuss Roe v. Wade so we all had a thorough understanding. And yeah, that's what we did. I got a lot of great feedback about that. So that was really good. And I was happy we were able to have that discussion. I really stayed objective, like I said. And so this week, it has just been on my mind. I went to the annual clinical clinical meeting for obstetricians and gynecologists. And these are all people who are women health, women's health advocates who support just women being empowered to make decisions about their bodies. So as you can imagine, there were a lot of people who felt a lot of different ways about it, including myself. And so I just haven't been able to think about anything else. And I had a really hard time making content this week because I didn't necessarily want to keep talking about that issue. There are so many things going on, but it's just so important and it's so current that I felt like it needed to be discussed. So I had to spend some time to find a way to talk about it in a way that I felt passionate about and could really have something to say. So this week, we are going to talk a little bit more about a life without Roe v. Wade. If you saw the Instagram reel that I had, I originally did a reel on reproductive rights versus reproductive justice, um, Lady Parts Doc on Instagram, just Lady Parts Doc, not Lady Parts Doctor. And there was a lot of commentary and I was happy about that. Even though opinions were shared that weren't necessarily mine, I think that the important part is that we engage in discussion, right? We need to meet people where they are. I think too often these days we are quick to just say people don't agree with us and write them off, but we all have common ground. We can all meet somewhere to um, come to an agreement and make decisions that work or at least work better for everybody. So that was really cool. Um, Let's just get started, okay? I'm not gonna focus as much on reproductive justice and reproductive rights as I originally intended, but these are just kind of some of my thoughts, feelings, and opinions um, about what's going on, probably mostly my thoughts. So you know by now that two days ago, the Senate Democrats pushed for a vote to advance what's called the Women's Health Protection Act. And this bill would codify the Roe v. Wade ruling while also banning requirements that some states have put into place related to abortion care, like waiting periods and mandatory doctor visits before the procedure, because policies like that would make it difficult to access health care. And our goal is for everybody to be able to access the health care that they need. Well. I don't know that that's their goal, but when I say our goal, I mean as women health, women's health advocates, our goal is. So the legislation failed in the Senate, 49 to 51, and the Democrats were unable to obtain enough votes. So now I guess they are meeting with their constituents or with one another and just going back to the drawing board to figure out 
the next steps. And so, you know, I just have been thinking about all of this and, um, I want you to know before I go further that I record all of these in one take. I don't know if I've ever told you that before. You might have guessed it, right? Because sometimes you hear me misspeak and I say all kinds of crazy things, but um, I record all of them in one take, partly because I cannot seamlessly edit the uh, recordings in a way that sounds interesting, but mainly in, in clean and nice and neat, but it's mainly because I feel that if I misspeak, if I, if you hear me swallow or, you know, hopefully not burp, but <laughs> this will at least feel like we're actually having the discussion, right? It feels more natural versus if everything I say sounds perfect. So I'm just telling you that because I have a lot to say today and I, I know at some point I'm going to misspeak because I already have and I've been talking to you for like two minutes. So I went to the dentist um, yesterday for the first time in years, in years. And you know, the reason for that, not that you really care, but I previously found it really difficult just to fit time in for an appointment. I'm ashamed to say how many years it's been. So if any dentists are listening, just don't judge me. But as is the case with any new health related visit, I had a ton of forms that I had to complete. You know, have you have to sign the privacy notice. I had to fill out the information with like my information, my emergency contact, my insurance information. But one of the forms I had to complete was a medical history form. And there were a whole list of conditions that were listed. So they're listed in two vertical columns, excuse me. And there is a yes or no response next to them. So what I like to do just to make it easy for me is I just go through and I circle all my yeses and then I just do big circles to group all the no responses together because fortunately I'm at a point in my life where there are very few yeses and more nos than anything else. So one of the few conditions that I did circle on my medical form was pregnant because I am currently about 20 weeks pregnant. And then I gave all of my forms to the receptionist. She handed them off to everybody who needed to see them. But from then on, everyone I encountered made sure to comment on my pregnancy. So the dental assistant was talking to me and letting me know what procedures I was going to have done, some of which I didn't even realize I was supposed to have done that day. But she pulls out my medical history form while she's telling me about something I need, specifically x-rays. And she's like, oh, you're pregnant. And then she made sure to talk to me about, after congratulating me, about obtaining a note from my doctor before I could have certain procedures performed. Okay, no problem. And then the dentist came in and he congratulated me and really just, you know, kind of made small talk, but he talked about his own children. He has two little boys, just like me, and he feigned dismay at my decision to try for another uh, after already having two of the same sex. And, you know, I love my boys and... I, for me, it really didn't matter what we had next. And we weren't really trying for one sex or another. We just knew that we wanted to expand our family and we were happy to get whatever we got. But he just shared his thoughts and, you know, he's, like I said, feigning dismay. He didn't really seem upset about it, but just sharing his own experience with pregnancy and having children. 
And then after that, I saw the dental uh, hygienist and she also made small talk and she talked about raising her two children. I think they were, uh, I think they were three years apart. So maybe they're like 12 and 15, something like that, like a teen and a preteen. And so her experience with having preteens and she had a boy and a girl and just the difference between the two. And then I finished the visit, which was quite lovely altogether. I was happy not to have any cavities. And on the way out, the receptionist asked if it was my first. And that's usually what people lead with. Is this your first? And then, you know, I answered, no, it's my third. And she began to share her experience with her own daughter, who was 10 and just what it was like to raise this little girl. And my point in telling you that very long and convoluted story, which is probably TMI, because I know you probably don't care that I went to the dentist, although some of you may be happy for me, everybody had something to say about my pregnancy. It was mostly small talk, but it was talked about often. And you know what? I didn't mind. As I've shared with you before, this pregnancy is a big deal for me. It's come after several losses um, and I've had several scares during the last or the last several weeks as well, honestly. And in addition to that, I talked about uh, previously my own history with infertility. So I am happy to still be pregnant with a healthy baby. And I will happily talk to anybody who will listen about my pregnancy because for me, it is a cause of celebration. But what if it wasn't? What if for financial, health, safety, or some other reason, I didn't want to be pregnant? And despite my wishes, I was unable to follow through with my reproductive life plan. In other words, I was forced to continue my pregnancy against my will. What would that look like? Personally, I think I, or I know, I know myself, I would have a lot of resentment. I'd be resentful of myself, my partner, my situation, my lack of power, the forces that were preventing me from accessing the healthcare I needed, the pregnancy, and possibly even the baby. I don't know about you, I don't want to think about what the outcome of all that resentment would be because it's probably not good. But enough about me. Let's examine a world where once pregnant, women and people who are pregnant don't have a say. For people forced to carry a pregnancy to term, adoption is an option and it's a perfectly fine option and it is a great option for many. According to the Adoption Network, about 135,000 children are adopted in the U.S. each year. About 59%, so 60% of those, are from the child welfare system or foster system. And about 25% are from other countries outside of the United States. And then the last 15% are voluntarily relinquished American babies. And we're going to be talking a lot of statistics for a little bit. Okay, so stick with me. The most recent estimates indicate that there are about 108,000 foster children waiting to be adopted, with about 50,000 being adopted each year and an average waiting time of over three years for placement. More than 60% of children in foster care spend two to five years in the system before being adopted, with some never being adopted. So yes, adoption is an option, but 
an imperfect one that may not be able to accommodate all the children unable to stay with their families. Let's keep going. Unfortunately, pregnancy doesn't always end in a happy ending. For some of the children residing with their families, mistreatment is also a concern. Gutterman created a survey to evaluate unintended pregnancy as a predictor of child maltreatment. They found that unintended pregnancy demonstrates predictive value as one of the earliest identifiable risk factors for child maltreatment. In their survey, mothers' reports of unintended pregnancy were associated with psychological aggression and neglect, and fathers' reports of unintended pregnancy were associated with physical aggression. As much as we'd like to believe that carrying a pregnancy to term and meeting the baby changes everything and changes people's perspectives, or as one Fox News co-host recently stated, and I quote, a pro-choice mom can look at her adorable two-year-old and think, my life would be nothing without her in 2022, but in 2017, when she was young and single, didn't have a kid. She could only imagine the loss of her freedom, right? So that's the issue, end quote. That isn't always the case. And what about the parent's perspective? Postpartum depression is an issue that is gaining more and more visibility, and I'm really, really happy about that. The American Psychological Association states that one in seven women and people who are pregnant or people who have given birth experience postpartum depression. Non-birthing partners can experience depression as well. Using data from 1993 to 2007, and that's, you know, at at least 15 years ago at this point, a 2010 study by Dave et al. found that approximately 4% of fathers experienced depression in the first year after their child's birth, with approximately 20% experiencing one or more episodes of depression by the child's 12th birthday. There are many, many symptoms of postpartum depression, including crying more often than usual, feelings of anger, withdrawing from loved ones, feeling numb or disconnected from your baby, worrying that you will hurt the baby and feeling guilty about not being a good mom or doubting your ability to take care of the baby. There are very real and severe consequences. I know you've heard some of them. I read a story just the other day about a mom who took the life of her and her baby. These things happen. And Postpartum depression can happen at any time after the pregnancy, with actually about 50% of cases starting during the pregnancy. And it can happen to anyone. Even a carefully planned and highly desired pregnancy can lead to postpartum depression. What about those that are not? In some situations, babies are diagnosed with severe anatomical malformations in utero, so in the uterus which will be incompatible with life or requires several complicated surgical interventions to make life possible at all. Sometimes conditions are diagnosed on genetic screening early in pregnancy and sometimes not until later in the pregnancy when they become visible on ultrasound. And parents of these babies are forced to make very difficult decisions. You can't even imagine. Thoughts like, will I be able to care for a child with such special needs? Will I be able to care for a child with my other children? Is it fair to make a child go through all of this? 
these are just some of the thoughts that come to mind. I'm sure you can imagine your own. These decisions aren't taken lightly and the solution depends on the individual's capabilities, their needs, and the individual circumstances of that particular family. Certain types of pregnancies are emergencies that occur during pregnancy and require termination of pregnancy for the mother's apparent survival. In cases of ectopic pregnancy, for example, and that occurs when the embryo or fertilized egg implants outside of the uterine cavity, that's often in the fallopian tube. These pregnancies are not able to survive and they can rupture an organ and cause hemorrhage. And just to give you some more information, as someone who has been called in the middle of the night when a woman comes in, she didn't know she was pregnant, she was experiencing a lot of pain, her vital signs are unstable, meaning her heart's beating um, really fast, maybe she's like pale and weak, her blood pressure's low. You go, you are concerned already, for an ectopic pregnancy and an ultrasound shows a belly full of fluid, you know that you need to act. It's not even a question of abortion. I'd never even think of abortion in that circumstance. You know that this is an ectopic pregnancy that's not going to survive and you need to save her or the pregnant person's life. Treatment of that requires removal or termination of the pregnancy for the survival of the mother. In addition, sometimes a woman or pregnant person might experience heavy bleeding or rupture of the amniotic fluid, so breaking her water, breaking their water, before the fetus is viable, predisposing them to hemorrhage or severe infection. And in that situation, again, the baby's not going to survive and also the parent's life is in danger. I also, I think about the number of parents, especially women, who left the workforce during COVID secondary to childcare duties and issues. I think about the stress. I think about, you know, the impact it's had. We see it. People are rethinking even getting pregnant at all. How would this change in the life without Roe v. Wade? And who would be most affected? So what's the immediate likely scenario? right? That's what we want to know. Like what's going to happen immediately should things change? Well, as we said last week, states that are supportive of abortion will likely become more supportive and states that are restrictive will likely be more restrictive and potentially ban abortions altogether. Large portions of the middle of the country and South would become abortion deserts, leaving women and pregnant people to leave the state to seek care rely on medical abortion pills by mail, carry pregnancies to term, or seek dangerous methods like coat hangers, chemicals, etc., or unskilled abortion providers as they did in the past. The privileged, including those working to restrict abortion, ac- abortion access, and let's be clear, even people who say they are against abortion can seek abortion services. Believe me, I know. The privileged will continue to get the care they need because they have the resources they need. The women most affected by lack of abortion access will be the ones who are unable to travel, the poor, black, Latina, teenagers, the uninsured, and undocumented immigrants. This brings me back to the reproductive justice versus reproductive rights conversation. The organization Sister Song defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal, 
bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. While reproductive rights support the choice to make decisions about your own reproductive health, reproductive justice addresses the fact that all women and pregnant people are not valued or treated the same. It addresses the historical and current inequities, practices, and policies that have harmed the reproductive lives of women of color and pregnant people of color. The movement was started and led by women of color in the 1990s and continues today. So as I sit here talking with you and patting my own belly, I am again thankful for my own circumstance and the ability to be pregnant by choice with the support of a loving partner on my own timeline, on our own timeline. I fear for my sisters who are not so supported, especially those whose rights are taken away. And that is it, folks. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you tuned all the way in. As always, I love to hear what you think. I know that you won't agree with me and I don't want you. I don't need you to agree. I just need us to be able to have productive conversation, right? We have to meet you where you are. I feel very strongly that pro-choice is just that. It is choice. It is not about what choice is made. Pro-choice is not about giving people abortions. Pro-choice is people making the decision to make, or people having the freedom to make the decision about their choices. Okay, take that for what you will. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the podcast. It's on Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon, the YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter. I did like one TikTok. I have to get back on that one. Um, Let me know if you have any questions, stories, or ideas you want to share by emailing me at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Again, this is Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor. Until next time.